And if not, go meet one, right? You know? uh, but if you were, you know, to, let's say that I had you pull out your mobile phone right now, right? Don't do it, but let's just say, it should be on silent, by the way. Nothing irritates me more than that, but anyway. Um, so, getting old, I guess. But, um, so if you took out your mobile phone and you texted, messaged this either friend or, or, or family member or coworker, and you, what, what if you did this? What if you just, you took a second, you just messaged them and you said this basic question, who do you think Jesus is, right? Just, who do you think Jesus is? Now, uh, that may be kind of awkward through a text message, I understand. So let's just make it more personal. Let's say that, you know, you are catching up for a coffee today or tomorrow or soon, all right? At a barbecue, whatever. And, you know, you, you're face-to-face -face with them, looking you in the eye, having a chat, having a chin-wag, and you say, hey, I'm just curious, um, you know, we've been friends for a long time, and you know kind of I'm a Christian and stuff, but who do you think Jesus is? Like, who, just out of curiosity, who, who do you think? How, I'm just, I'm not you, and I'm not, I don't know all the same people you know, but I just... I guess I'm just curious. I could guess, but how? I'm, I'm not asking rhetorically. Like, maybe give me some feedback. How do you think this friend or family or coworker would respond if you, if you asked them? Given, let me, let me clarify it, though. Given the fact that um, even non-Christians will actually admit that Jesus Christ was a historical figure. Okay? So... Uh, that's, that's been proven. You can't actually deny that. Now, you, you, you might deny who he is or claim to be. Fair enough. But you actually can't deny that a bloke named Jesus of Nazareth walked this earth, you know, strung up on a cross by Romans. You, you can't deny those things. So, just out of curiosity, you ask that friend of yours, family member, you know, whatever. Give me, how, how do you think, how, how would they respond? I, I don't know. You tell me. Silence? Yes. Okay. Yeah, interesting. But they're not a Christian. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to circle back to that eventually because that's one of the things Jesus, that Peter says, right? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's interesting. Yeah. What would, what would people say? <laughs> yeah, I don't believe in him and it's none of your business. Fair enough? Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, Mark? Especially most of the young family guys. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So if you, um, I've said this before, but I, I love getting in conversations with Muslims. They're, they're often more keen to talk about the things of God than, than uh, you know, Aussies on the Central Coast are. Right, so um, you don't believe the same. <laughs> we don't believe the same thing, but they're often very keen to say, "Oh yeah, I'll talk about God." Allah, meaning that's what they mean. But yeah, and and they, they won't be like, "Oh, I'm uncomfortable. Oh, this is awkward." They'll say, "Yeah, this is what I believe who Jesus is." Yeah, yeah. Ralph. I was asked that very same question about 25 years ago. Love to hear your testimony another time, brother. I said he was a great teacher. Okay, he was a great teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to launch in your testimony. I thought, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Save that one for later. 
Yeah. I mean, because I was thinking about this. I, I was like, you know, people do have an opinion about Jesus, right? I mean, Australia, statistically, 4% of Aussies right now, and probably less now, but this, is, this survey was taken prior to COVID. So 4% of Aussies are in church right now. 2% of that's Roman Catholic. So half, give or take, are in evangelical-ish churches. So that's a lot of, that's massive, right? I mean, that's, 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 those are big numbers. Clearly there's a reason why, right? I mean, they have an opinion about Jesus. Even if their opinion is, I don't believe, they, they still have an opinion. You sitting here, even if you're not a Christian, you have an opinion about Jesus. Either he's Lord, Right? He is who he says he is. Or he's making all this stuff up. He's a liar. Or he's delusional lunatic who would probably deserve to be killed. I mean, he's crazy. Put the guy out of his misery, right? So he's either Lord or he's liar or he's lunatic. But what, where do you land? So I say all of that because Jesus puts a question to the disciples in today's passage of as Jeanette just read it for us. And he asked a basic question. Who do you say that I am? And rather than see that as just sort of an abstract conversation 2,000 years ago between this religious figure and his 12 blokes falling around, I want you to feel the weight of that. Who do you say that Jesus is? How you answer that question determines everything, really. Who do you say Jesus is? So here's how our text is going to unfold for us as we unpack it. First, a question. Next, a confession. I mean, a proclamation, not like a confession of sin. A question, a confession. Lastly, a revelation. A question, a confession, a revelation. So if you want like an outline of that, in verses 13 through 15, that's the question. Who do people say that I am, right? Who do you say that I am? Then in verse 16, we have the confession. Or if you want to say the proclamation. You are the Christ. Lastly, we get to get behind the scenes how exactly Peter came to this conclusion. And that is a revelation. We're going to get more into next week's. Next week, we're going to get a little bit, uh, we're going to pack a little bit more deeply um, just this idea of the church and the keys of the kingdom and, and all those things. But in order for this morning, I thought, you know, it might just be appropriate to really focus on this idea of this question that's asked, this confession, and this revelation. Okay? So that's where we're headed. Why don't we, why don't we look to the Lord and ask him to bless our time. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the, thought and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, what we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. What we know not, teach us. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so last week, do you remember we left off with Jesus and the disciples talking about bread? Yep. And where were they? Do you guys remember? They were 
somewhere Galilee area. Well, now they head about 40 Ks north on foot. Obviously, they didn't take a train. They head 40 Ks north on foot to a spot called Caesarea Philippi. Now, I've actually been to this place, uh, what's left of it, I guess. Um, Caesarea Philippi, um, if, if you want to come there, if you want to just open your Bibles, it, it says just what I'm saying now, but um, it says here in 16, notice, now, after Jesus, um, I need my glasses, it just dawned on me, I don't have my glasses, oh my gosh, I'm as blind, Dan, can you do me a favor, brother, they're in my backpack, can you go grab them for me? It's right at your office. I'm not going to sit. Yeah, I'm going to wear yours. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe. <laughs> Who's older between the two of us? <laughs> Who's stronger? Ah, oh, no, nah, Dan will get. Thank you, though. Well, what, what are you going to use? Sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. Good on you. When you get old, man, I'll tell you. Uh, look at this. That's pretty large. And it looked like blur when I looked at it. It was just like, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend and be like, oh, oh, uh, 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 like it's, you know, we're not that professional here, so it's just, so. Glasses are a status quo. That's right. Makes me, someone was teasing me last week saying, oh, it looks, makes you look smarter. Well, anything, anything helps. So, what a legend. What a guy. I have to say this is the first time this has happened, though. They're in the, like, deepest pocket as well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Okay, wow. Now we go. Okay. So when Jesus came into the district of where, help me, what does it say? Caesarea Philippi. Now, so like I said, I've actually, I've had the chance to visit this exact location or what's left of it. Um, it's interesting, um, the guy... Uh, who built this city has already come up in Matthew's gospel before. Um, his name is Philip the Tetrarch. Um, what this bloke did was construct a city. I want you to sort of picture this. It's like this, uh, I don't know if it's a mountain. It's, it's more like a, a big hill. And, and at the very bottom of this hill, he constructed, Philip constructed this city and Remember who the reigning ruling power of that time is, is Rome, right? And so who does he name this city after? Caesar, hence the Caesarea. But he's, of course, he's got to put his own name in there, right? So that's where we get Caesarea Philippi. Um, anyway, here's the point, though. At the time that Jesus is there, this was sort of the... Uh, one of the main hotspots of paganism. This was idolatry, would have been just everywhere. As, the dis- as Jesus and the disciples are there, everywhere you look, left, right, and center, people are worshiping these false gods. And so it's quite appropriate, given this location, isn't it, for Jesus to say, hey, guys, I know you, you can look over there, and there's people worshiping this god, and you're looking over here. I just have a curiosity, who do you, who do people, what are people saying about me? about me. You have your ear to the ground. You hear the responses of the people around town. Tell me, who do they say I am? 
And their answer comes in verse 14, right? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So a litany of guys are given there. All, I guess the common denominator is that they are prophets, hold that, that office. But try to imagine this. Jesus asks this question. Guys, who do people say? What are they, t- what are they, what, what are they saying about me? They kind of huddle together and they come back to him and say, well, Lord, the public opinion polls are somewhat divided about you. Some think you're John the Baptist raised from the dead. Others reckon you're sort of like Elijah because you preach boldly against idolatry. You perform miraculous healings. Elijah did that. You do that. There's another group there out there who who look at your life and ministry and, and they've noticed how closely things line up between you and the prophet Jeremiah. And so they think, well, you're like a second Jeremiah. And then finally, lastly, there's another group, handful of folks who say that, well, if, if, you're, if this guy isn't Jeremiah, he must be some type of prophetic figure. Now, I suppose... All those observations aren't negative, right? Like all the people that they pointed to are positive figures in Scripture. But what's missing from that list? What title? What, what, I heard someone say it, Messiah. That's right. And that's why Jesus puts the question directly to these disciples. Notice in verse 15, who do you say that I am. Can you, can you feel the force of that question? He isn't so much concerned about what the general population says about him. He wants to hear what the disciples believe. It's as if Jesus puts them in the hot seat. It's like he points his finger at them. Imagine that. You know, it's not just like, oh, well, that's nice. No, no, no. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? So you feel the direct force of that, don't you? It's, it's very emphatic. Now, he's addressing the disciples as a group, right? But one guy speaks. One guy becomes their representative. One guy is their spokesman. And who's that? That's Peter. He doesn't say, though, Peter doesn't say, well, Lord, I mean, goodness, if the religious elites, you know the guys that know their Bible super well inside and out, if they're, if they're confused, if they can't seem to get it sorted exactly who you are, how can you expect bogan fishermen like us to get it sorted? He doesn't say that, does he? He also doesn't say, well, Lord, you know, personally, personally, I believe you're the Messiah, but sh- man, there's a, servant, there's a lot of people who don't. So I got to be careful not to become too narrow and arrogant so as to claim, you know, that something is universally true. No. Peter is no postmodernist. He gets straight to the point. He pronounces universal truth, a massive declaration. Verse 16, what does he say? He says, "You are the Christ, the son of the living God." Massive theological implications there. Two things, can you catch them? 
First, and I want to camp out on these. He says, first, you are the Christ, Messiah. Second, you're the son of the living God. It's interesting that this is actually the first time Matthew records the disciples coming from their lips saying that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Christ. But I'm just curious, I guess when you read Peter's declaration that he is the Christ, you might be tempted to think, well, duh, doesn't, doesn't everybody, I mean, doesn't everybody know that? Isn't this simply his last name? I remember when we were moving to Australia. You ever, as in like on an airplane, you ever like, you know, try to put your seat back and it gets stuck? Do you remember the days when we can travel? Remember those days? <laughs> and um, there's these things called airplanes, right? And they take you, it's really cool. And uh, maybe one day we'll get on them again. But, but April was, her seat was stuck and she was trying to get it back. And there was this Australian woman behind her and, and she was like, you know, and it was just kind of sticky and she was trying to push, she's pushing the button and it's not really going back. And the woman had her drink, you know, and then finally it was like, Whoop! and then, you know, the drink spilled on her and she was like, you know, Jesus Christ, right? And I wanted to turn around and say, who do you think that is? <laughs> who exactly, because we're moving for people like you. We, wanted, we want you to know exactly who that person is, Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah, Right? I know she was using his name as a curse word. But people, I wonder if I, you know, first of all, she'd probably say a lot more colorful things if I turned around and said all that, right? Welcome to Australia. It's your first five minutes on a plane with them, right? You know, and, and, and I, but I want to say, oh, you know, I was thinking at the time, if this woman, maybe she just thinks, well, she probably doesn't think, but she probably thinks, well, Christ is just his last name. Do you know what I mean by that? So Jesus and then what's his last name? Christ. Like, I know this is awkward, but if the Lord got pulled over out here by a police officer, right? And then, which he wouldn't be speeding because that'd be sin. But, but if he did, if his rego was out of date or whatever, and, 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 then the, and then the police officer said, show me your license, it wouldn't say Jesus Christ on it. Do you understand? Because, because Christ is not his last name, it's a title, Christ or Messiah. So it, it really suggests something of his person. It's a divine title. In fact, in the first century Palestine, the term Christ would have carried with it massive buzzwords, right? Things that sort of wake you up. Like you would just, I could say buzzwords now that would, I won't. I'm tempted to, but then you'll get distracted with them. But I could throw out like five buzzwords right now that would get everyone's eyes on me. I'll refrain. But in first century Palestine, this term Christ, Messiah, was a massive buzzword. I mean, if we were to go back in time and cruise around the shops of ancient Palestine, people would tell you that one day God would anoint a deliverer to rescue them. They were waiting for this Messiah figure. Basically, someone from the line of King David who res would restore them, restore God's people. That's precisely who Peter is confessing Jesus to be. The Christ. The anointed one. Massive. 
Huge confession. But that's not all. Look at, look at the next part of his confession. Verse 16, you are the Christ, notice, the Son of the living God. Do you remember when, earlier in Matthew's gospel, when Jesus is baptized? He comes up out of the water, as is the true mode of baptism, true baptism. Just going to throw that as an aside. He comes up out of the water, and what's the declaration given from heaven? This is my son, right? Or when Jesus walks on the water, what do the disciples conclude? Truly, you are the son of God. But in this moment, it's interesting, Jesus has he's pulled these guys aside because he wants them to make a profession of him not in the heat of the moment. Not when their emotions are boiling after a miracle that he's just done. He wants them to stop and reflect and say, this is what I truly believe. This is what I'm convinced of. I have embraced this truth. You are God's unique son. You are the very son of God. You are the divine one. Friends, this profession from Peter is at the very heart of Christianity. No lesser estimation of Christ will do. Do you understand that? I understand. When you, when you were thinking about your friend sending the text message earlier, saying he's a good teacher, saying he's a nice bloke, saying he tried to help people, will not suffice to save your soul. Every true Christian must acknowledge the divinity of Christ. Every true Christian acknowledges that Jesus is the Messiah. Now listen, that doesn't imply hearing that truth said here from stage. And everyone around you kind of goes, yeah, mm, that's good. Or you hear it from a distance, or you hear other people around you saying it. Or you can just repeat that yourself. It means embracing that truth, believing it with all your heart, and committing your life to him as the Christ, the son of the living God. So who is Jesus in your life, friend? Is he the Messiah? Is he your Savior? Now, as significant as Peter's confession is, it's also important that we catch how Jesus responded to this declaration. So first we've seen the question, then the confession, and now the and now look, he allows us to go behind the curtain, so to speak, here, and we get a revelation in verse 17. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, and he gets his full name. You ever get in trouble from your parents and they drop your full name? Robert Stephen Jenner, get over here right now. You know, that, I never heard that. That would be a lie. Right, he gets his full name. Why does he, why does he do that? What he's about to say is massive, that's why. You know, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Now notice, for flesh and blood, has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Notice he's letting him in on something here. He's, he's not saying, Peter, you're in trouble, right? Far from it. No, no, no. First he says, actually, you're blessed by God. He's blessed because what just proceeded from Peter's lips isn't the result of his own making. It's the result of the enlightening work of God in his heart. Peter, flesh and blood, have not revealed. You hear that word? 
revealed this to you about my Father in heaven. Such knowledge could never have originated from a mere mortal is what Jesus is saying. I mean, think about it this way. Think about Jesus and think about the crowds. Um, Jesus is there, the crowds are there, and the disciples are there, okay? The crowds had seen many of the things that Peter himself had seen, right? The crowds heard many of the same things that Peter had heard. They had seen him act. They had seen him teach. They had seen him do miracles. They had seen how he lived. And yet Peter believes in many of the crowds, what? They don't. Then Jesus says, the reason that you believe and that they don't is not because you've been with me more than they have. It's because God has shown it to you. He has opened your eyes, Peter. So too, Christian brother or sister, if you're here this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus today, it's because God has opened your eyes. The scales have fallen and removed from your eyes. Just like the Pharisees, though, friend, listen, in and of ourselves, we are blind by our sin. That's why Jesus said in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. If you're a Christian here, it's not because you were smarter than your other family members who still aren't Christians. Or you're more humble. Or you are really special. I know your mom told you that growing up, especially if you're a millennial. You're special. We don't struggle with self-esteem if we're 40 and below. It's not because you're special. It's not because you're great. It's not because you're smarter. It's not because you're wiser. None of those things. It's because God first came to you in grace and removed the scales from your eyes. We love him because he first, what? Loved us, you see. If you're a Christian today, friend, it's because the Lord first sought you when you were dead in your sin, gave you life. You once were blind, but now you see. Had nothing to do with you. Everything to do with God. Everything to do with his glory. Everything to do with him being the divine agent acting on your behalf. Look, before I was a Christian, I, I couldn't stand Christianity. I, I, I was convinced that to become a Christian was to commit intellectual suicide. But God rescued me, showed me my sin, drew me to himself. I was not, there was no advantage in my head whatsoever. There was no relational or emotional connection that would sort of say, ah, that's why I want to follow Jesus. Those are the things that irritated me. I didn't want to hang around Christians. I didn't want to be committed to church and stuff like that. I was living my own life. I cared for no one except for me, myself, and I, and my surfboard. That would break every six months, and then I'd drop bombs. But God saved me, rescued me from all those things. If you're here, you're a Christian. The only reason that you're different, the only reason that you're trusting in Jesus Christ is because the Lord opened your eyes. Praise God for that. That's what he's saying. How many of you have ever heard the famous preacher Jonathan Edwards before? Show of hands. It's okay. You know, and, and don't lie. All right, well, Jonathan Edwards, fantastic. He lived several hundred years ago in America. 
Um, even before America was technically the United States of America, right? So, long time ago. And he lived there in Northampton, and he's probably known, some of you might not have heard of Jonathan Edwards, but you've heard of his famous sermon, which people haven't read, but they don't like the sound of it. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Have you ever heard that before? No. Oh, okay. Well, people often know Edwards just for that sermon, which I'd highly recommend. It's a fantastic sermon. But Edwards is actually, might surprise you, he is not so much famous for that sermon back in his day. In other words, that was a famous sermon, but what catapulted him into being well-known and well-received um, was a sermon that he preached at Yale University. And the title was A Divine and Supernatural Light. A Divine and Supernatural Light. In this sermon, Edwards expounds the idea how in our fallen humanity, we are blind to the spiritual truths of God. And unless the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, we don't see the loveliness of Christ. We won't see the beauty of Jesus. To see Jesus for who he is requires a divine work of God to remove the blindness from our eyes, to pierce the hardness of our hearts. It's interesting when Jesus is interacting with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and he's talking about the idea of being born again. Do you remember that? And what does he say? He says, the wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear it sound, but you cannot go cannot determine where it comes from or where it goes. So it's with everyone born of the Spirit, you see. Praise God, if, if you're in Christ, it's completely because of Him first coming to you in a divine and supernatural light. Now, who we say Jesus is really determines everything about the way in which we follow him, okay? So, in other words, if you think Jesus was a great teacher, then, then you'll follow him like a good teacher. I listen to several podcasts during the week. Some of the guys I listen to, I'd, I can take some, you know, sort of chew the meat, spit the bones, but that's just because they're just blokes. They're just fallible men. I can sort of take some of the things that they're saying and then I can take the other things they're saying and chuck them in the bin. Now, if you, if you think that Jesus is merely just like this, like he's kind of like your podcast sort of, you know, you can, he's got some decent ideas, got some good ethics, some good morality, um, then you'll listen to him when it's convenient, when it matches your lifestyle and you'll listen once in a while. If you think Jesus was just a good example, then you'll try to follow his example, Right? But if you believe that Jesus was and is the promised Messiah who came to earth to save us from our sins, to conquer sin and death, to reign and rule as Lord, then that changes everything how you live. And listen, friends, this confession, the church is made up of people who make the same confession that Peter made. That's why he says, right? Notice, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this Rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, the church is the gospel 
made visible. You see, if the church is a display, it's, it's a community of people made up of people who believe that Jesus is the Christ. We are, by nature, and this is why I encourage you to come next week to Dan's Equip class, a confessional church. We have to be. Jesus forces us to be a confessional church, to confess something. You have to confess something. That's how you're saved. You confess with your mouth. Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. By nature, we need to be confessional. Confess something. That's what I'm saying. Do you you get that? The church is made up of people who confess that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the son of the living God. Are you there this morning? Have you come to the place where you are saying, yes, I believe Christ is the Messiah? And friend, it is important that you don't just keep that to yourself, that you speak that out, that you talk to the person that brought you. And if you're here and you have questions about that, what it means to, you know, maybe, maybe you're just picking up bits and pieces of what I'm saying this morning, right? You're kind of like, oh, I, kinda, I get sort of what you're saying. Please come, t- you know, talk to me. And if you don't feel comfortable with that, that's fine. Talk to the person who brought you. This, who you say Jesus is determines everything, friend. So I'll ask you, in closing, Jesus puts it to you. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that he is? Let's pray. Lord, we come as those, even, in the, even here now in this room, Lord, those of us, can, we come as those who are confessing you as Lord, and Lord, we know that there's people here that, that haven't. For whatever reason, they've just been kind of fence-sitting for a long time. We pray that you would, by your Spirit, bring them over the line, grant them faith. Lord, what amazing truths that if we confess you as the Messiah, as the living Son of God, it's not because of our own wit, it's not because of our own ingenuity or brains or, or analysis of things. It's because you came to us in grace and removed the blinders from our eyes. So we praise you for that, Jesus. We pray that we would be a church that truly confesses the things that are right, that are biblical, that line up with you as the Christ, the Messiah. Lord, we pray now that as we partake in communion together as a church body, as a church family, we pray that, Lord, you prepare our hearts to reflect upon you saving us, that your body was nailed to a cross, that you shed real blood, and Lord, we don't, at the end of the day, worship a dead Messiah, but a resurrected, ruling, reigning king who will come back again. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So if you could hear that in my prayer, if you're here and you are a Christian, 
And you are a Christian who says, yes, I confess that Jesus is the Christ. And you listen to what Jesus commands you to do, and that is to be baptized. Remember, Jesus himself was baptized. It's quite interesting. I referenced that earlier. And by obedience to Christ, to the Great Commission, you have been baptized. We encourage you to partake of communion with us as a church, as a church family. So what the helpers are going to do now is they're going to pass out these little, looks like an, an airplane food, but... Um, take off all the little wrappers.